Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with me as always for our weekend review of the news of the week is uh, former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call, John Bennett. Lot to unpack this week. Uh, <laughs> there's there's a house fight going on. Go figure. Hmm. Lots to talk about there. Uh, the war in the Middle East, There, uh, there's, uh, well, there is an awful lot to talk about there as well as uh, Israel warning a million people who live in Gaza to evacuate overnight. Ruling over the rubble, Donald Trump weighs in on the Middle East in his latest court troubles. And then, of course, you can't get out of talking about Congress without talking about George Santos, his imaginary enemies in the running down the halls of the Capitol, or Menendez, who's been asked to uh, quit Congress. And then, of course, we'll have some updates on the Trump trial. So stick around. A lot to unpack. We'll be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question, our weekly review of the news, Just Ask the Press. With me again, former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and uh, editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call. And we can talk about all things uh, CQ and Roll Call this week, John, because it's been interesting. But let's start out with the deep dive on the current speaker race. As it began, Donald Trump came out and endorsed Jim Jordan for Speaker of the House after the House removed its Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, because Matt Zoltan Gates decided he's going to pull the trigger after the one time McCarthy did his job and worked with the Democrats to keep the government open, they called for him to be removed from office. So here we are, no Speaker, almost two weeks into it. Jim Jordan, the first choice of Donald Trump, was not the first choice of the Republicans. Liz Cheney came out and said he'll never be... Um, Speaker of the House. So they put up, well, who was it? Steve Scalise, the House Majority Leader. He couldn't get enough votes. <clears throat> now, as the weekend rolls around, we're back to Jimbo Jordan. Um, bring us up to date, John. <laughs> I think you did a pretty good job there, Brian. <laughs> um, the, the, the issue here now for, for Mr. Jordan is the same as it was uh, for Mr. Scalise. Um, they have a bigger uphill fight, I guess, lobbying effort, begging. I, I, these aren't old school Republicans, at least Jim Jordan isn't, where he's going 
I don't get the sense that Jim Jordan is is going to say, oh, you've been pushing for that bridge in your district. If I'm speaker, I'll get you that bridge. Just vote for me. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Um, because uh, this is a this is largely a fight about federal spending and the role of the federal government. And and he's of the Freedom Caucus ilk. They don't believe in that kind of horse trading. They, you know, backroom Washington deals. Right. So he's got to get to 217 votes. Can he uh, do it? No, I don't I don't I don't see a path. I don't, you know, um, um, I haven't been as directly involved uh, in in our coverage as I was the motion to vacate. Uh, but the sense I get from from our great team that's been on the Hill all week and and others, um, especially, you know, Jake Sherman from Punchbowl, he's plugged in uh, to the Republican conference. Um, if Jake doesn't see a path and, and our team that's been on the Hill talking to Republicans, they don't see a path right now, um, then I just I'm not sure how he's going to get there on the floor. I will say this. <clears throat> excuse me. Mr. Jordan picked up about 20, 25 votes. Um in, in yesterday's conference election than he did when he lost to Mr. Scalise. And then they did a second ballot yesterday, so third overall, uh, with the question, would you support Jim Jordan on the floor? Well, he went from about 125 to, to just over 150 on that second ballot, second Friday ballot. So he's picked up 50 votes um, in, in just a matter of days. But, but... He's at 152-ish. Now, there's some delegates that don't count, so let's just call it 150 even because we're doing back-of-the-envelope math, right. and trust me, everybody else is too. He's got to get. He's got to go from 150 to 217 on the floor. Now, and if he's not going to horse trade or make promises, if you think they're empty promises, then, you know, you've been watching Washington right. long enough. I'll let our listeners make that determination. Um, you know, that's a lot of votes. That's what that's 67, almost 70 votes that he's got to pick up before. And you you want to have about 60, 65 of those flipped firm into your column before you go to the floor. So I'm not sure how he gets there. I will say this. Howard, I don't you know, nobody's got a, a, a great grasp. And Brian, you and I talked about this yesterday of what they're yeah. exactly doing in that Longworth office building hearing room, the Ways and Means Committee, a large room where all 220-something Republicans are are talking. Uh, are they arguing? Is it like a city council meeting? Is there a microphone? And it's just air the grievances. It doesn't seem like they're negotiating. It's which, a stinky, smelly, sweaty room. Where, yeah. Where yeah. It st stinks of B.O., so, cigars, too much so alcohol. Yeah. That's where we are. Uh, the House Republicans, they they elected Jim Jordan. He appears to have about 150 to 153 votes on the floor as of yesterday at about five o'clock, Friday about five o'clock. Uh, they decided, interestingly, to not go straight to the floor yesterday and to go home for the weekend. They'll come back Monday, but it looks like if they do go to the floor, it wouldn't be before Tuesday at some point Tuesday, and they'll probably want to meet again because House Republicans love to meet in, in either Longworth or HC5 in the basement Longworth. of the Capitol. Yeah, uh, they love to meet. They've always been this way. Yeah. And and I'm not there, but I just don't, they, they're not getting anywhere toward actually electing someone who, who can get to 217. If that person exists, Brian, I'll say one last thing. Sorry to filibuster yeah. to open. 
this I we've all watched this before, this kind of thing. Now, this is unprecedented, but we yeah. have watched these moments before. And and it is you can come up with a deal. And I'm not talking about an omnibus spending deal between the four leaders and whoever's president. Okay. But a lot of times this kind of thing involving rank and file members needs to take place in the chamber on the floor with the cameras on. And they're not getting anywhere in that room behind closed doors, no cameras. This thing, you got to go to the, I think they'll eventually have to take it to the floor. If it gets to, you know, 180, 189, 190, go to the floor. And then it, one part you have to wear members down. You have to put them in there for three days. The bathroom smell, they're tired of each other. They're right on top of each other. You know, the other parties in there, they don't like them very much. And and then you start arm twisting. And they don't yeah, even like each other. How are they going to like the other side of the aisle? Yeah, exactly. Um, so they're in a room. They don't. Yeah, good point. And 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 you do make some promises when you get down to that last ten that you need. You start making promises. And I know people don't like it to to hear that. Well, I voted for him in the end. A because we need a speaker, and B because he said he'd help me get that bridge, or he'd help me get that federal grant for you know a road project in my, in my district. Help that me avoid that subpoena. Yeah. <laughs> so I think they have to. He, you know, if he can get to one eighty five, I think they have to go to the floor and just try to grind people down. And yeah, make some promises. So Michael, is there any way on any God's green earth that you see where where he would be acceptable as a speaker? I mean, he's avoided he he avoided a subpoena. He hasn't passed a piece of legislation in 16 years. He was part of the seditious process on January 6th. Can he actually become, do you think that there's any way he would be acceptable as a Speaker of the House? So the predicate of that question presupposes rationality within the Republican <laughs> House membership. Yes, it and does. I, and I'm not prepared to give them the benefit of that doubt. So from my um, analysis of them, they could possibly elect this guy. It would be, I think, a mistake for the country to have a person, given that resume that you just recited, Brian, in the number three line of succession uh, to, to the presidency of the United States. Um, but goodness knows these guys have done lots of things that make no sense to me. So is it possible? Sure. Is it desirable? Absolutely not. Are there coherent alternatives for them to follow? Sure. Um, there are a lot of people who uh, make more sense if you if if your desire is to actually govern. But hey, look, the world is exploding around us, and these guys to take decide to take the weekend off. You know, so go figure. <laughs> yeah, that's the other. So let let's look at it this way. I want to uh, dive into it just a bit more. <clears throat> if he doesn't get 217. What if we're sitting at midweek? He can't get 217 votes. Two scenarios arise. And now look, and, and I'll preface this by saying I've spoken to sources who say that there are members of the GOP who are talking to high-level members of the Democratic Party right now. Now, what they're talking about, I don't know. They could be talking about where's where's the nearest dispensary because God knows they all need to be stoned to go through the next few days like this, or or where's the nearest apothecary and they're or they're looking for you know uh, their their legal booze. But I don't know what they're talking about. But they're talking. So at the end of the at the end of say Tuesday or Wednesday, and they're still deadlocked if they are. 
do GOP members defect to the Democrats and elect a Democrat, Hakeem Jeffries, who's sitting on maybe 212 solid votes and only needs five or six, but to be safe, what, let's say a dozen Republicans, just to be safe in case there's a couple of defecting Democrats. Or do the Democrats cut a deal with someone less odorous in the Republican Party to be the speaker? And who would that person be if they did? John? Okay, let me... So uh, let's take the first one. Do they me, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do they the def- do Republicans defect to the Democrats or do Democrats got to deal with the Republicans? Which do you think is more likely? I I think let me preface this with um I don't think I, I don't want to call that Pollyanna, but I do want to say that sounds like a plot line of an episode of the West Wing, which I would watch that episode and I think it would be interesting and 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 everything. Uh, I might watch it twice. Who knows? <laughs> but but let me say this. We're not in that era anymore. The money is out here on the extremes. And these so people you think, get re-elected. You now, now you, you, I'm sorry. You asked about this week. Yeah. That scenario, both of those scenarios don't happen this week. Those okay. scenarios probably happen the earliest in mid-November. November 17th is the government fund, is government shutdown deadline. That scenario doesn't even start to come into realistic uh, play, maybe until after the government shuts down. Ah, point. That that's when I think you're on to something. But but this week, no, the Senate isn't even back until Wednesday for what what my boss uh, calls a bed check vote, just to make sure everybody got back, and and so they're not really going to get cranked up um, legislatively until Wednesday afternoon. So. It's not like you could pass a Ukraine or an Israeli um, uh, a, a military aid package anyway, uh, because the Senate certainly didn't cancel its recess uh, right. when the war broke out in the Middle East. Uh, you know, they're, they're, and, and they're not even in Monday and Tuesday. So, so it's not that dire yet, but it's going to get more and more dire. Now, who I think it's more likely it would not be Hakeem Jeffries. Uh, that's too much for Republicans to swallow. Um, he would probably um, have to be convinced that it's not Hakeem Jeffries because he's waited in line a long time behind Nancy Pelosi and, and Steny Hoyer, and he's finally got his shot. But so I don't think it's Republicans defecting in, you know, 15 of them and electing Jeffries. I think you, where you're on to something eventually down the road might be the the middle of both parties come together and it's somebody like a Tom Cole from Oklahoma. It would have to be a Republican because they are the majority party. Well, all right. So then that then it's a very I think it's a very short list. Sorry, it's a very short list of folks that Democrats might be able to swallow. That and that begs the question: Do you think that they at at that point in time will have to cut a deal to keep the government open on on November seventeenth, and at the same time guarantee funds to Ukraine? So that's something to consider. Mark, uh, Michael. Look, I, I don't think that the Republican Party has any present intention to govern or to legislate. And therefore, the timelines that John is talking about, these smart timelines, don't appear to matter to the majority of that party. I mean, after all, a good 
Baker's dozen at least of these people were elected on the platform essentially of bringing the government down to its um, knees, that they were running to be in an institution that they didn't believe deserved to be an institution essentially. And so why do they care if things are falling apart? That seems to be why they ran. It's the, you know, the Steve Bannon school of, of thought that we have to tear the whole thing down. So if this promotes that philosophy of tear the whole thing down, quote unquote, drain the swamp, whatever that means, um, then why do they care? The Democrats, however, on the other hand, have to figure out a couple of things. One is there are important things going on in the world now, and we need a functional Congress. And so do they say, we're going to be the adults in the room, we'll swallow hard, but we'll be the adults in the room so that we have a functioning Congress? Yeah. Or do they say, you know what? Independent of the impact this has on our, you know, sort of ability to be a, a global participant in a meaningful way, we're just going to say pox on them and and let the let the voting public see, you know, sort of. They always say uh, elections matter. So here's the outcome of of that. Elections matter. This is who you elected. Uh, we've got an election coming up. You know, pays your money and takes your chance. Do you want these guys um, again? And it's a really hard, it's a hard decision because it puts, you know, your personal political desires. We want to be the majority party again. We want to be able to legislate around our agenda in contrast with, which would say, don't cooperate these guys and show America who they really are versus as I say twice, we're, the world is in a particularly complicated period, and we can't not be a participant in that. We can't have a non-functioning Congress. And so Democrats might say, look, for the greater good, even if it doesn't fit me, even if I can't figure out how it fits me politically, this is what I'm going to do. And maybe they'll be you know, lucky, and maybe the people will say, look, you know, these guys stepped up, they were the adults in the room, and they deserve to be um, rewarded for that. It's very hard to to sort out. I would hope that the Democrats would be the adults in the room if that's what is required to have a functioning um, Congress. But you guys know. But this, define um, that. What? What? I mean, functioning. If it's someone in charge from the GOP that just wants to tear it all down, it not. It wouldn't. It, you'd nominally have a head of a, a speaker, but you wouldn't have a functioning democracy, you'd still have a dysfunctional Congress. Well, yes, except that if we're, I thought the conversation was, can they find some middle ground to keep Jim Jordan, one of the bring it yeah. down um, out? Um, can they find a, a, a moderate Republican who they can coalesce around to say, look, we may not be able to Oh, in everybody, but we we can at least have a, a moderate Republican Speaker of the House that the Democrats can work with. And the, you know, as you said, the Democrats on any given vote need six votes from the Republicans uh, to to reach their numeric majority to pass something on a simple majority vote. So mm -hmm. if they say to the Republicans, "Look, you give us six votes, we'll give you a moderate Republican, and let's go." 
together be adults in the room. Uh, and maybe we'll, and maybe you moderates in New York uh, swing districts and and elsewhere in the country can run on bipartisanship and and you know maybe it'll be good for you guys because if you don't if you bring it down um you'll go you're gonna lose four seats in in, in new york and you're gonna lose a seat in alabama you're gonna see lose a seat in north carolina you're gonna lose your majority so you know what do you want to do that that's a good but it, yeah just one thought before i jump in john do you, do you see a scenario by which we don't have a speaker for several months we could even go into the i mean whoever gets elected a speaker the most they could have is you know a year a little more than a year reign before there's uh uh before you know the election so anyway that's to prove for thought go ahead john yeah i do see a scenario uh where we don't have an elected speaker for uh a number of months now the, the speaker pro tempore, pro tempore uh, Patrick McHenry from North Carolina, this is interesting. So moderate Democrats yesterday floated the idea. Um, now, his powers as an appointed acting speaker are limited, are, are vague, are vague. Yeah. Um, and he can't, you know, he it doesn't appear he can move legislation. But here's the funny thing. Um, if no one challenges it, then they could try. They could try to pass some legislation, but they would need they would need you know they, to prearrange two hundred and seventeen votes, which they can't uh, get. They even get a speaker. <laughs> depends on what it is. It depends on what the bill is. Yeah. Um. And you know when when the CR passed, when the last continuing resolution passed, the one that ultimately sunk McCarthy, it got over three hundred votes. Uh. So there are political reasons to not shut down the government. There are political reasons ultimately to help. Ukraine. I assume there's 320 votes to, to, to send a military aid package to Israel at some point. So there are things that they might try to do in Ukraine under an agreement. Yeah, and in, in Ukraine. Um, there, there are some things they might try to do under a floor agreement that would allow McHenry to tee up legislation. So, so that's something to keep an eye on here. And, and I bring up McHenry's name also because he could be the guy in, in this scenario that we're talking about in a month, two months, where the, the 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 moderates in the middle in both parties come together to elect a speaker. It could be Speaker McHenry has made the, I'm using quote fingers for our listeners, permanent speaker. He's probably a, a, a care hole, a, a caretaker speaker until, you know, after the next election. And bring um, us up to date on who he is. Yeah, McHenry is from uh, North Carolina. He actually represents my hometown again in North Carolina. Um, and he came here, you know, he's a, he's a very conservative guy, but a funny thing happened on his way uh, to the financial services chairmanship. He learned how to yeah, listen and talk and find common ground with Democrats. And, you know, we have we have. A he wasn't involved in January 6th. Correct. He was not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that 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 would that could be a big selling point uh, for Democrats who who might have to swallow hard and vote for somebody like him eventually. Um, but he's we have a profile up of McHenry on on RollCall.com and and what they my colleagues talked to a lot of Democrats who who had very complimentary things to say about Mr. McHenry uh, since he took the the gavel of financial services and before that 
you know, he has his beliefs, but he uh, he he does want to get, you know, he does want he he wants to help us get some of our stuff in the bills that the committee has sent to the floor. And he he knows how to cut deals. He was instrumental. Remember, he and Garrett Graves from Louisiana were dispatched by McCarthy in June, and they cut the deal with the White House that, that averted uh, the debt default. So he knows how to do this. He's one of the few remaining ones who knows how to talk to Democrats and and let some of their stuff be absorbed into these bills, but not in a way that drives away too many Republicans. So I would keep an eye on that the closer we get to this November 17th shutdown deadline. McHenry's name could could shoot to the top of the power rankings. I mean, he could be the solution. Well, and and it's not like the House. You had to get sports in there, didn't you? I had to. <laughs> um, it's not like... I, it, I know what you mean by a functioning house, and yes, yeah, one that works. <laughs> sometimes, well, it depends on your definition of works. If <laughs> if if you're talking about, you know, this, I'm talking about rudimentary. Of, I'm just talking about being able to do the function that they're supposed to do. Right. It's like it's like when when your sink at home breaks, and and you fix it so you can shave and wash your hands, but you don't want to do anything else. Until the plumber arrives, well, that's after the election. Let's forget that. Right. So well, if, that, if me... McHenry, can, if if a, if a speaker McHenry in 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 November can get in there, they keep the government open. They change the House rules to raise the threshold to vacate the chair to I don't know north of one, which is how <laughs> we got here. Yeah. Um, if they raise it to I don't know fifteen, twenty, twenty five, they keep the government open. They send aid to U.S. allies uh, who are fighting wars. Well, that's that's okay. I think that's a pretty that would th oh. that would be a functioning house. And then next year, um, they'll have to keep the government open, do a farm bill. There's a list of like FAA. There's a list of federal agencies that have to be reauthorized. But there's bipartisan support to do all of that. If they do those things, they'll. They'll be gone by June 1st anyway to campaign. If they if they can do that, if they can do some things this year and and the 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 long-term authorizations next year, they'll probably pass a continuing resolution beyond the election. That I think that would be a successful house. All right, Michael, last thoughts before we head for the break. You think we're gonna have a long-term delay without a speaker? And where do you see this going? I don't know where it's going. It really depends on whether. The Republican Party and the leadership of the Republican Party, for whatever that means, is, as I said, want to be important participants in the world, or they want to be, you know, partisan, you know, children uh, fighting um, amongst themselves while, you know, there's this Nero fiddling and world burning and these guys are have taken the weekend off. For God's sakes, you know, they've taken the weekend off. We haven't taken the weekend off and we're pretty, pre pretty close to as important to them. But but we decided to work through the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> well, and one of the reasons. Wait, 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 wait. The, well, the yeah. one thing about that that you, that you remind me of is this is at the end of the day, um, what is a functioning democracy and what and do we care? That's because it, obviously the Republicans don't. Go ahead, John. Then we got to we got to take 
take take yeah, a break. I, th- th- this this weekend break. I mean, you, I've I've said my spiel. I, I would have been in all weekend on the floor. Yes, uh, but part of the part of the problem for Republicans, as McHenry pointed out to reporters as he left the room in Longworth, a lot of Democrats went home. So and then the Democrats said, well, we didn't have confidence that you guys would would get your stuff together. So, you know, we had stuff to do now. Now, wait a minute, John, there were only 200. I was there. Yes, but but, there were only 209 Republicans there. They couldn't pass anything if they wanted. The Democrats said if Republicans had gone to the floor and elected a speaker, then on Monday night, they would have moved to vacate the chair and started this all over again. So McHenry, in a way. You couldn't stay in and then have Jordan vacated, you know, so so as often happens with Congress, everybody's a little wrong. Well, everybody's a lot wrong, but we're, we're going to we're going we're gonna, to on that. We could argue that one all day long. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, there's more from Congress. And, of course, the latest on Donald Trump and the war in the Middle East that's taken up everybody's oxygen. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and... When we left, we were talking about dysfunction in the U.S. Congress, and now we're talking about global political dysfunction. Uh, Earlier last week, of course, Hamas bombed and killed uh, 1,300 people in Israel, and Israel has returned in favor, in kind, uh, sending out leaflets telling people to get the hell out of uh, Gaza because they were going to invade after they fired rockets back at Hamas. Um, Dead, innocent People on both sides of the aisle, politics as usual, ranting and raving, and here we are stuck in the middle. Michael, I'll let you uh, unpack some of that if you'd like. There is nothing good going on in the Middle East between the Israelis and the Palestinians from the Gaza Strip. What the Hamas uh, fighters who crossed the line did was pure and simple acts of terrorism. There's no explanation for the savagery uh, in which they engaged other than terrorism. The number of 1,200 Israelis dead, just so people understand what that means, or that in the United States as a percentage of population, it would mean 44,000 Americans, 10 times the 9-11 World Trade Center deaths. That said, the Israelis, if they're going to carpet bomb Gaza, they're going to turn it into a modern day Dresden. Look it up if you don't know what happened in Dresden, uh, listeners. Um, They're going to do the same to the innocent women and children of Gaza, as was done to the innocent women and children of 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 South Israel. 
And I, again, we keep coming back. I keep coming back to this adults in the room stuff. I don't know who is there that is, that is really saying we've got to find a solution here. The problem is, if you look at it from the Israeli perspective, is Hamas grew up as an organization essentially in opposition to the Oslo Accords and, and efforts by the, the PLO to find a negotiated peaceful settlement. They were uh, no compromise people. They had a Gaza airport. It got closed down. They had um, hypo, hypo, however you say it, the tomatoes that grow in water when the Israelis left. Hydroponic. Hydroponic farms all over Gaza. They burned them to the ground when the Israelis left because they were built by Israelis. There were plans. I mean, Gaza sits in a beautiful part of 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 the earth right there yes. against the, the, the sea. Um, you could have turned that into a resort uh, town uh, as there were thoughts about that, but it's gone to um, rubble. And so I don't know how you negotiate with people who don't believe in compromise, but on the other hand, you don't want to and how do you access act, without killing innocents? Yeah, and how do you how do you protect yourself that way? The what I find interesting and what you guys could address yourselves to perhaps is Israel is bearing the burden of world condemnation for um, the possibility of going into 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 Gaza, and they say a million point one Gazans have to flee, and they say where are they going to flee to? Um, and missing from the conversation is Egypt has them landlocked on its border with Gaza. Where, where is Egypt as part of this solution? And, and so that's my question to you guys. But also, they built a wall. am I not? Am I? Am I, they built a they built a wall? Yeah, um, the Egyptians did. But am, am I wrong to say that prior to was it the seventy three war? Wasn't it that the Gazan carried like Egyptian passports, weren't they Egyptian yes. citizens? Yes. at one point they were. I you, I believe you are correct. The I think Gazans that the, the West Bank were Jorda carried Jordanian passports yeah. and the Gazans carried Egyptian, Egyptian So where passports. is Egypt in helping out? So where is Egypt in helping out? Well, I think that goes back to your question about where are the adults in the room? <laughs> and, and my question is, look, what Hamas did was was just horrible, right? It was, it was a terroristic activity. But are the are the Israelis playing into their hand, Michael, John, by by reacting as vehemently as they have by by putting the leaflets, telling people to get the hell out, bombing Hamas and ultimately killing innocents as well. That's Hamas to me playing the Trump card going, see, these guys are just as bad as we are. So, so you know, it's an interesting question, because I was talking to someone the other day and I said that on 9-11, I was in Berlin. I flew to Berlin the overnight on September 10th. I landed in uh, Berlin on the morning of the 11th. I was uh, taken by taxi to a client conference room, windowless, televisionless, communicationless place, and worked all afternoon. And then I go to call my wife, and her secretary says, "You know, don't you know what's going on?" And I had no idea. And then there was 9/11. And so I'm in Berlin for a, a, over a week because there's no getting back. And everywhere I go, everybody is viewing the United States as victims of 
a terrorist attack and all of the sympathies. Can I buy you a drink, American? You know, can I get you this, American? We had their sympathy. Then we go around uh, invading Iraq, evading, invading Afghanistan, and all of a sudden, nobody likes us anymore because because <laughs> we overreacted. We we bombed people that had apparently nothing to, in Iraq, at least nothing to do with nine eleven. And people said, "Well, you're no better than you're no better than them." Right. And, and this is where we are. And so I wonder, with respect to the Israelis, if this you know gross analogy of mine has any applicability is are they going to do what we did are they going to lose sympathy lose and not you know yesterday look yesterday friday whatever day is today on friday the, the the hamas called for sort of a day of terror or something and people were marching in many capitals ar around the world um in support of of the uh palestinians and you know, by extension, um, Hamas was on college campuses as well. And so I don't know what sympathy Israel has to begin with, but but whatever they have, uh, they have the potential to to blow it if they're not if they're not careful. And John, that begs the question talking about blowing it and adults in the room and rational behavior brings to mind something that <laughs> Donald Trump said <laughs> on the on the stump the other day that Hamas was smart, and uh, Netanyahu had let us down. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hezbollah was strong, you know. Yeah, Hamas was smart. Hezbollah was strong, and Bibi and Netanyahu let us down. John, how does that affect the the uh, the equation? Does it? I mean, <laughs> what else would you expect at this point? I just. Um, I, you know, I, I wasn't shocked. I wasn't surprised. Yeah, it's just, it was so on brand from 45. Yeah. Um, that, you know, and you have to, re we had to report it. It is news. He's the front runner. He's somehow up by 40 points still in the primary. Um, it will fuel um, some of his supporters, uh, including here in Washington. Um, you know, if, if an Israeli aid package has to pass, the new speaker, if there is a new speaker, or McHenry with just Republican votes, um, I think they'll have some work to do to get to 217. Um, I, I, I don't think it's a slam dunk. Now, if, it, if, 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 if the MAGA block stands down or understands um, the severity of the situation, then, um, and, and there are plenty of Democrats who want to vote for that, too. And then it then it sails through, like I said earlier. But you know, it, it just reveals Donald Trump's narcissism. He's he's mad at at Benjamin Netanyahu because Netanyahu congratulated Joe Biden for winning the 2020 election and has tried his even though it hasn't been an easy relationship with Biden by any means. No, uh, but, uh, Trump views just like anyone else who's who's ever done anything similar. Trump views Netanyahu now. As a sellout, yeah. meaning he sold out Donald Trump. So this isn't about how Donald Trump feels about Middle East peace or or civilians in Gaza or or what happened last weekend. This is just about Donald Trump and and how he worries about himself over everything first. I, he and wants to rule over the rubble, man. I'm, this is why you know when you talk about adults in the room, this is bigger than Donald Trump, and he can't see that. 
he can't see that. And what I I would rather I would rather focus on what matters and 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 a, a truth social post from it matters. But I think the bigger picture here matters a lot more because and I hope Michael laid it out just great in in Israel's all the risk here is is on Israel, not all of it, but a lot of it is on Israel to not overreact, to not, as he said, turn Gaza into Dresden. And and where are these people supposed to go? Like you said, the Egyptians have built concrete barriers on the other side of the Rafa crossing. Yeah. So if if they do get out, you know, people with American passports might get out, uh, but I'm not we're not seeing reports that they're getting out as planned today. No. Um, from from that southern point, that southern crossing. So the strategic, the strategic moment here is not about it, it's not on Donald Trump. He's not the one that has to go to the situation room and 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 maybe try to restrain Netanyahu or lean on because now there's a coalition government in Israel. So now maybe you can work with with the other leader and and also talking to Netanyahu, and you can all try to convince him to not go maybe with his instincts to go as hard as possible. So this is on Joe Biden. And my column at rollcall.com um, this week talks about that. The challenge, the challenges of being a proxy wartime president, not a wartime president, are are almost trickier because yeah. you can advise and you can apply pressure and, and maybe even threaten someone, um, but you don't make the final decision. That's not up to you. You know, if you're in the sit room and it's go or don't go, well, you can say go, but you can't make that decision. Netanyahu's going to make the go decisions here, and we've seen what he's willing to do before. So Joe Biden has this calculus now where he's got to try to keep Netanyahu close and 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 not drive him away or or anger him. And if you're Biden. You 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 trying to thread this needle where you get a strategic victory here. Yes, Hamas needs to be destroyed. Hezbollah probably too. We hope fighting doesn't break out in the north, but for now, focus on Hamas. And if you can destroy Hamas, and and as you guys were talking about earlier, or maybe it was CNN. I was watching just before we started here. The the other Arab states are going to have to play a role when this is over. If there's a population left in gaza you know we hope there is in well, gaza it can't just be an israeli occupation the other arab states are gonna have to step up and help something else form within the palestinians some other kind of effective governance it can't just be hamas and hezbollah they they they've got to be able to govern themselves better and they're going to need help and it's not it's not going to come from us Breaking news is not going to come from Israel. Those other Arab states are going to have to help the Palestinians. Michael, now, wait, a minute, wait a minute. Let me ask Michael real quick. You see that happening? You know, it's very hard to know. Just before the uh, assault by the terrorist assault by Hamas, um, Israel and Saudi Arabia were, you know, close to uh, a, a, an agreement, uh, which would have been very important. Um, for the region, you know, that hopefully that process can go forward. I mean, if the other Arab states decide that they want to be partners in peace to try to bring forward a, a solution, and I think there's an opportunity, because remember, we have to talk about 
the fact that Netanyahu, I think, will bear a lot of the blame for this going forward, as will the Israeli defense minister. And I think ultimately they're going to be gone. And so right now there's a there's a coalition government um, with, you know, um, Member of Parliament Benny Gantz and some of the others who were opposition to Netanyahu. So I think there's a possibility um, for progress with the Israelis in some way marginalizing Netanyahu. But I'm not a student of, of virtually anything, um, no less the middle, no less the Middle East. Um, but I think there are opportunities that people want to create opportunities. I think there are excuses for them not to, very easy excuses for them not to. But yeah. if they really want to, if they're really serious, I think this creates an opportunity. Um, That's a good point. That's you know, and and I'll, last thoughts before we head to the break. You know, um, you mentioned. Egypt, you know, Egypt told, and it's now confirmed that uh, Egyptian intelligence told not only the Israelis, but the Americans, you know, our government, that something was being planned by Hamas. And uh, in, in Israel's case, Netanyahu and others, you know, they specifically told Netanyahu and it was ignored. So there was a huge failure in, in uh, Israeli intelligence. Now, there are those who say that uh, Netanyahu did it on purpose so he could goad them into a fight. And I'm not buying any, into any of that. I just think it was they poo-pooed what happened. They didn't consider it as they should. And it was a, it, we don't see anything. We have the best intelligence apparatus in the world. And we don't see anything going on. So this must not be all that big is where I think it fell down. So that's, but at the end of the day, I do wonder if this is going to be the end of, you know, Netanyahu campaigned on, hey, while I was president, I kept you safe. And well, now he's not. Go ahead, John. Let's also not uh, forget here that he's had a lot of trouble at home domestically. And this yeah. just piles on top of that. He, you know, corruption charges, the Judicial Reform Act, those weren't Palestinians in in Israeli streets protesting his judicial reform push those those were israelis so yeah. he was he he was it does seem that there was some distraction here and and he was worried about you know getting the judicial reform bill kick uh, beating the corruption charges and eventually getting reelected that's hard to do <laughs> that's very hard to manage those things and it does seem that that there was a distraction at the top and almost a complacency that, um, you know, we see them training, but for the last however many years, you know, they, they fired some rockets from time to time. Iron Dome took care of most of that. Almost complacency and almost like we've got them contained almost. Now, what does that sound like? Sounds well, like if you've read the 9-11 Commission report. Yes. Same thing happened here. There was a, complac a complacency uh, within two administrations, probably more, and within the intelligence community, they weren't taking some of the, the warnings from within the, the IC um, that seriously. So this happens from time to time. Israel's not alone. It happened here. There you go. Well, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about <laughs> court troubles for Donald Trump in Colorado and, of course, Menendez and Santos. So stick around. We'll be right back. 
Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, with our weekly Just Ask the Press review of the news of the week, how we screwed it up, how the leaders screwed it up, and of course, we wise three guys will sit here and pass judgment on all of it. But let's let's take a look a little bit at uh, what's going on outside. You know, Donald Trump usually takes up all the oxygen, and the rumor has, but real life events have taken it over. So we're kind of falling behind and covering the Donnie trials. And Michael, I'll let you. Uh, there's two things that came up. Can, Judge Cannon this week admonished uh, prosecutors about. Um, actions taken in her court which isn't unexpected and donald trump is uh at, at first glance losing uh his attempt to stay on the ballot in colorado so i'll let you talk a little bit about that if you'd like to unload that for us well let's let's do a a, a law in the week in review okay so the, the 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 first thing is George Santos, who had some sort of hissy fit. Oh, oh that one. Yesterday. I was going to wait on in, Santos and Menendez, but go ahead. I was, I'll let you unpack that one first. Let's just run. Well, let's run right through this through okay. line. That's, uh, so, George. Uh, um, well, I'll Santos. tell you what that hissy fit about. Some guy who is anti, he's Israeli, he's Jewish, and he was, he was questioning the policies of Netanyahu. And he said, what about innocent children of, uh, in, in uh, Gaza? And and Santos went on a hissy fit down the hall, screaming at him that he was a terrorist. You take it away from there. <laughs> um. So, uh, but before he has this this hissy fit, and he was holding a, I mean, you can go to the internet. He's holding a baby in yeah. his arms. Uh, to, um. He couldn't find a puppy. Yeah. The, the no one knows his baby. Yeah, yeah well, he was in um, Tim Burchett's office, a congressman from Tennessee, and Burchett came out and said, "It's not, it's not my baby. It's nobody in my office's baby. <laughs> Don't know who the baby is." He stole the baby. That's he borrowed it at least. Yeah, that's. Go ahead. Sorry, Michael. Michael. Sorry, it's okay. It's okay. Um, talking about these guys bring a lot of um, cognitive dysfunction. <laughs> yes, I've got plenty. The um. Santos' legal case is that Santos, who has been under indictment, was charged in a new superseding indictment with conspiracy and wire fraud and false statements to the Federal Election Commission. And interestingly, identity theft um, <laughs> and plus, plus money laundering. So as I sit here in, in New York during this um, conversation, at my mom's house, she is represented by George Santos. So this is this is this is a district in which I grew up and 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 know well. And the notion that this guy is quote unquote our representative uh, in my family house 
is 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 stunning to me. But that that all said, this guy is um, <laughs> facing serious uh, criminal law violations. They're back in court in October, later in October. And then I think there's a trial date that's even been set for like March. Yes. So I think we'll get a um, a resolution of the Santos case, a judicial resolution at the trial level pretty shortly and uh, before he is the uh, sort of Republican I think that he won't be the Republican nominee from, yeah. from this district. And um, the question is whether he'll be a convicted felon awaiting sentencing um, or will, whether he'll be in, in jail. But that it's right. not going to go well for him. And on the same theme of, and it's not going to go well for him, you've got Senator Menendez, who has a trial date coming up in, in May. Um, he has been charged with all sorts of, of fraud and bribery. Uh, and then I guess it's the, the thing to do. There's a new superseding indictment against him, charging him that he was acting as a unregistered foreign agent for <laughs> Egypt. Um, this, if you remember correctly, Menendez was found, they, I, I was going to say he wasn't found not guilty. He, they deadlocked in his trial a year or three ago, and they decided not to bring charges again. Um, this time around, I don't think they're going to have that same problem. I, I, I think that they're, from looking at the court papers, and of course, that's the government side of the, the, the case, um, I don't think that he's going to avoid conviction in in these uh, in this case. And that's going to open up an interesting um, situation for the Senate seat in in New Jersey, because as sort of Democrat leaning as New Jersey yeah. is, they've also elected people like Chris Christie, a Republican, as governor, and they've got you know multiple congressional districts that are. Uh, Republican uh, seats. Keen, the former the governor's, the, is he the son of the former governor? Um, yeah. Keen, uh, you know, a moderate Republican there. You know, he ran for Senate last time and lost to Menendez, I think, sort of like 50 40. Um, you know, it's not going to be pretty uh, for anybody in New Jersey um, coming through. So that's what's going on. Um, in those cases, in the um, Letitia James civil case in New York, it's, as you know, a case where the judge has found in a summary judgment motion that Trump committed fraud. And so now yeah. this trial is about a couple of other frauds that weren't decided pre-trial. Insurance fraud and other things are still on trial. But the question is, what level of liability, financial uh, liability, is appropriate. Uh, and so they're taking testimony. So far, the trial has been all about um, the finances of the Trump organization. And 
the CFO Weisselberg and others have been testifying. I think the prosecutors believe that Weisselberg is not being fully honest. They introduced into evidence yeah, think. <laughs> his his severance agreement. Um, and in his severance agreement, in Weisselberg's severance agreement with the Trump organization, he got a $2 million payoff. And uh, basically it says, and you will not cooperate with anybody voluntarily. You know, we can't prevent you from, you know, cooperating if you get a subpoena. But otherwise, as a condition of getting this $2 million, you agree not to cooperate with anyone voluntarily. That's not normal. Um, and uh, it, I think is in the prosecutor's view, I should say, shading his testimony. But that all said, right. he is still testifying that Trump was involved um, in the review of the financials that went into the um, calculations of value of Trump properties. I'm sure and, he was. And so I don't think the case is going well uh, for, for Trump and sons, because again, Weisselberg said that when Trump became president, the financial records, which Trump looked at himself pre-president, he then reviewed with Don Jr. and Eric. And so Weisselberg, as, as reluctant a witness as he has been, has still put knowledge in all three Trump's um, head uh, about the Importantly state of financial yeah, put into evidence, but about you know their state of mind, their knowledge. That's yeah. the word I was looking for, their knowledge. And so let me pause for a second before we turn to Judge Cannon in case John wants to talk about the political, the political implications. Because I think both Santos and Menendez have very important political implications. Um, and so maybe we could talk about that. We'll Go ahead. It. Sure. Well, one thing uh, a potential Speaker McHenry's house could do... Um, fairly quickly, uh, should Mr. Santos be convicted, is expel Mr. Santos from the House. Um, I don't think there would be any lack of votes on either side of the aisle to do that. Uh, so that's something- They have they to wait be... for him to be convicted? Couldn't they do that? I mean, they've already proposed doing it now. Uh, they could do that at, at any at any moment. The, yeah. They don't want to, you know, th they won't want to set the precedent of kicking him out before he's convicted. Just in um, case they ever get indicted. Well, I knew you were going to you <laughs> set you up for that one. Well done. <laughs> yeah. uh, exactly. Now, Mr. Menendez is a different uh, different um, case. The Senate is a very different body, of course. Um, and this ain't his first rodeo with no. federal, charges, federal corruption charges. And oh, by the way, now DOJ, as Michael said, they've charged him with acting as a foreign, foreign agent. agent. The that's judge, that's agent. very serious for a senator. Yeah. So you've you've already seen a call from uh, Senator Fetterman of Pennsylvania that they that the Senate should just go ahead and and boot Menendez out. Last time, I remember talking to the senators, and a lot of them are gone, of course, and even Republicans, a lot of them are gone too. At the time, supported Menendez. You, it was hard to find a senator on the last set of charges uh, that thought he should be kicked out. Um, even even Ben Cardin, who stepped up and was ranking member of the Foreign Relations Committee, and I was covering national security back then, um, I asked him numerous times, and he stood by him. Bob Corker was chairman of that committee. He stood by Menendez. Not this time. We've seen a lot of calls for Menendez to resign. When they get back next week, we'll see if if the Fetterman idea has legs, as they say, and, and if, if Mr. Menendez may be Mr. Menendez soon, 
instead of Senator Menendez. And I think that has some momentum. I'm not sure he's going to stick around. Um, I think both of them have momentum. I think they'll both be gone sooner rather than yeah. later. It'll yeah. be a quid I, pro quo type of thing. You that's get what my, yeah. shit, we'll get rid of ours. <laughs> yeah, that's what my gut says. And yeah. of course, um, uh, the governor of New Jersey would quickly, um, he's already got a short list of folks that he would appoint to finish Menendez's term. And he is up for re-election in 2024. So that would resolve itself, um, you know, by January 2025, you'd have an elected, um, likely Democratic senator from New Jersey. So that wouldn't that wouldn't change the really change the balance in the Senate uh, all that much. And that that race is is right now still leans Democratic, even with Menendez as the candidate. And the effects on the House race for Speaker are minimal because he's a, you know, well, <laughs> well, or well, is that's it? interesting. That's, and I, mean, I would have to look at, you have to look at how um at, at 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 the special election rules and all that. Every state is a little different in how they do it. And I'm not I, I should get educated. <laughs> well, I, I mean it, you, the, but it would lower the threshold by vote. one vote. It would take it yes. down to two sixteen. Yes, so, there you go. So in that way, if every vote matters and and it does, um, you know, this could impact uh, getting maybe a a, a care a, God a caretaker. Why is that word hard today? A caretaker speaker like McHenry elected. It sounds like you're going to say carrot, and which is carrots which are delicious. Is, by the way, they're delicious. Know, carrots are delicious, and that's probably what you'll get a carrot, a vegetable for the for the next year and a half for a caretaker. So, but, but let's roll it on into the uh, uh, Michael. You were also. Let's unroll the last two things with Trump. We've got the Cannon uh, ruling for prosecution, and then in Colorado, the movement to get Donnie off the ballot. So in the Mar-a-Lago case before Judge Cannon, who many think is acting uh, politically, uh, that's not been an accusation against really any other judge. judge. The Trump team doesn't like Judge Chutkin in the January 6th case, but no one has accused her of acting um, politically. Politically, uh, right. they some say that of Cannon, but let's give it the benefit of the doubt. What what happens is that the prosecutors are saying to to the judge, "We want you to hold hearings on whether or not um, the two of Donald Trump's the two two of Donald Trump's co defendants, Walt uh, Natow, and um, I forget what the live." De Oliveira's um, for Carlos Oliveira's um, uh, attorney has a conflict of interest. So, you know, for example, in a normal trial, one lawyer represents each defendant um, and represents that person's interests and that person's interests alone. If a lawyer has two clients, the lawyer really has to ensure that both clients have the exact same interest in the case. So if my wife and I get sued for having a, a dangerous tree on our property that fell and smushed a, a car, she and I have the exact same interest. We both live in the house. It's right. both our tree. And uh, one lawyer can represent the two of us. If in that same example, my wife says it was my husband's fault and I say it was my wife's fault, then theoretically that one lawyer can't represent the both of us because right. we have conflict in our in who we're pointing a finger at. My wife and I have unity in our agreement. The tree is not our responsibility. Um, one lawyer. 
in this case, what the prosecutors are saying is that you can't have a situation where Walt Nottow and Carlos de Oliveira can have the same lawyer because they have interests that aren't aligned and therefore the judge should have a hearing on whether or not the lawyers can continue or whether the defendants should get a new lawyer. Now, the defendants have the right, I expect, to pick a conflicted lawyer, but the judge also has an obligation to ensure that the interests of justice are served and she could force a change. So there is this hearing going on about all of that. And the prosecutors have became a bit more aggressive in what they were asking the judge to do. And and she sort of had a fit, uh, I think, <laughs> honestly. Yes. Uh, I think the best way to describe what, what happened there they, she said, well, you're, you're changing the scope of what you're asking me to do from what was in your written papers. And so that does it. I'm out of here. We're we're postponing this. You know, you're wasting my time and, and you know, shuts it down. What makes people concerned about this? One is things happen in courtrooms all the time that are not in the papers initially. And right. you just roll with it if you're a judge. But she's a very inexperienced judge. But what is concerning to people who are watching this case is I think it's pretty unanimous that the Mar-a-Lago case is probably the strongest of the criminal cases that Trump is facing. And it seems that what Trump and company wants desperately to do is to delay the day of reckoning that means a trial. And right. Eileen Cannon, the judge in this case, seems to be going along with that um, quite nicely. And so there's, you know, just a lot of consternation about whether she's really acting um, appropriately herself and looking for excuses to continue to delay this What's your case, or whether she's just so inexperienced that she doesn't know how to manage her courtroom. I think the latter. I think that it was a terrible mistake. Yes, she was picked randomly, they say, um, but I think it was a terrible mistake for the chief judge of that district to allow her to handle this case. I think that the chief judge should have taken the case uh, for herself or made sure that a judge who handled this case was um, more experienced than they can. I think this this case is above her experience level, and I think she's uh, proving that um, every time the parties come back to court. She could surprise us, but so far... Uh, so far, I haven't been surprised. It's been kind of what I thought it would be the entire time. Yeah, yeah. John? Yeah. Well, again, uh, that I guess politically the question is um, how much are independent voters? And it's that part of the podcast where I say four to six states that are going to matter next November. <laughs> um, how much are independents listening and absorbing? Uh, what do they think of it? Um, is Are Trump's efforts to dismiss every charge, every judge, every prosecutor um, breaking through or are people, you know, more focused on, um, uh, you know, the price of gas and price of eggs and the price of everything and their kids schools and, you know, everyday, everyday things are people paying attention yet, I guess, to the, to all of this is, um, is, is what I'm trying to get at. Uh, my, my gut says the answer to that is no, so the Democrats have to be ready, just thinking strategically and tactically. Um, they have to be ready at some point next year to really start driving this home to independent voters in those states that are going to determine 
who the next president is and just lay all this out. Um, all the trouble that Trump's in, all the charges, all the things he allegedly did. Um, I will repeat that we, you know, we journalistically use the, the word allegedly, but the man has told us he did most of this. Yes. Um, he, he has bragged about doing most of it. Um, sometimes he's alleging that the laws themselves are illegal, constitutional, or his interpretation of them is, um, shall well, we, took say, the Nixon stance, shall we say, he? unique. He right. took, yeah, he took the Nixon stance. If the president right. of the United States did it, by right. definition, it's right. not illegal. So we'll see. Um, you know, the the, the Nixon defense uh, never really had to stand up in court, but it's about to be tested over and over and over again by Donald Trump. Um, and and good luck with that. I mean, you know, all these charges, almost 100 charges in, what, four jurisdictions, um, and he can't pardon himself in Georgia. So I, I do think there's I do think he'll be the nominee. But, you know, the, Democrats, know. There you the Democrats have. Yeah, the Democrats have to be ready with a very aggressive messaging campaign, something they're not usually great at to something really horrible at. Right. To really get to those independent voters. And also, though, to, to also lay that out to key parts of their base that did turn out for Joe Biden and and that did um, help Joe Biden defeat Trump. They A lot of Democratic voters we learned from exit polling and, and, and focus groups since. It's not so much that they were, you know, wildly enthusiastic about Joe Biden being president, but they went to vote against Donald Trump staying in the White House. So I think it's a two pronged messaging uh, campaign warning Democrats, hey, this guy's got a shot to go back and independent voters. Um, yeah, you may feel like economically you were better off under Trump, but look at all this stuff that he did. And yeah. that might be enough uh, to beat him if a jury doesn't beat him first. I still do not think, I'll end it with this, I still do not think the man will be on the ballot, and I think his statements that he made about Hamas are indicative that he's going to go from relevance to ineffectiveness uh, in nanoseconds. That he will And you know what? And you know what, Brian? If you're right, and, and the Israeli-Hamas um, uh, fight is the the tipping point for that then i say to you that nikki haley will be the nominee in the republican Ooh, there you party. go there's a prediction there well that leads me to the last thing that we you know i have like three of these letters but we've touched on on both on, on most of them but there is one that i i think is worth discussing it was written by a woman Companion 47, and, and she wrote it more eloquently than others, and I had about four of these letters, who said that with all that's gone on, you know, this is like the, the Israeli 9-11, and with all that's going on in Ukraine and the Middle East and the belief that Vladimir Putin is behind all of this, um, is are we in the middle or the beginnings of World War III? I'll let each of you take a whack at that. Well, if World War III is a war of nation states against one another um, with active military boots on the ground, then no, we're not there. If this is a new version of the Cold War with all sorts of proxy fights uh, going on among uh, United States, Russia, and, and, and China, 
then yeah, we're full on in, into it and have been for a while. And the question is, how does it play out? Does it continue to escalate? And in whose best interests is it that it not escalate? Ours. In whose best interest that it escalates? Perhaps um, Putin's. Um, but this goes back to where we started, which is to your questioners, your listener's question. We are on the precipice of something big. Um, perhaps bigger than the Cuban Missile Crisis of the 1960s. We're on a we're at the precipice of something big, and the Republican Party can't get its act together to be a participant in figuring out what to do about it. They're just they're involved in petty, you know, personal politics, and the consequence of it is that. We may not. We may be hamstrung in our ability to be part of a a solution that has huge implications, not just for us, but for for global peace. And so, yes, in answer to your questioners, your listeners' question, we're in we're in very dangerous times, and um, we have to step up and we have to be leaders, world leaders. And uh, I don't think the Republicans are participants in that process, which is the biggest, you know, sort of pox on their house. John, your thoughts? I, I thought that was very well said. Um, yeah, we're in we're in an era, a new era of global conflict, but it's not great state conflict. This isn't the 1930s or 40s. Um, it's starting to feel Cold War-esque and, you know, there is an axis on the other side that's pretty clear. Russia, China, Iran, North Korea. Uh, I don't think we know completely who, what, what other countries might have supplied um, equipment and expertise and intelligence information to Hamas to pull off what they did last week. Um, I, I think, and I, I'm, I'm certain that that. The Israeli intelligence and and American intelligence, despite uh, officials not wanting to talk about what was clearly an intelligence lapse or or failure, or a huge failure, um, they don't want to talk about it yet. But you know they have teams working on what the hell happened. How did we miss this? Yeah. Um, but yeah, th this is this. It does feel like this could be building to something. I'm not really sure uh, what. Again, you know, we're not intelligence analysts or. Um, and apparently times. neither of the Israelis, but that's another story. So, so I, 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 I thought Michael, you, I thought you were yeah. going to say, John, that we're not intelligent. I thought that would have been a fair, <laughs> a fair way to end this podcast. <laughs> well, I mean, we're not supposed to tell the listeners that. We certainly <laughs> tell each other that offline. <laughs> we should, and we should. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think Michael's right. This has to feel like the Louvre, the the Louvre, the Louvre Museum. I can't speak today. Is closed in Paris. Paris is on high alert. You know, they have um, they have a large immigrant refugee population in France. We've seen that uh, simmer and, and bubble over at times. So the whole world is on edge right now. This, especially in the Middle East, especially the Israelis, the Palestinians, uh, this this hits people deep. People feel this. And and when people feel things that, you know, they're willing to to do uh, they're willing to do things and violence breaks out. Um, we don't know if 
if this was a one-time, you know, attack by Hamas, or if this is part of maybe a series of attacks, and we haven't seen the second round of that yet. So this is why the importance of, this is why countries have intelligence agencies. This is why we spend billions of dollars on all, all kinds of things, satellites, submarines, you know, we're listening. It's hard to catch everything. Yeah. And, and I, and not only that, is it hard to catch everything, but I'll answer my own question that from this woman and tell her, yes, I think we are in the middle of something. Uh, I don't know how you label it, whether it's world war three or whether you, uh, God knows, I, I hope it doesn't go nuclear, but uh, at the same time, this is a very dangerous time for the world. It needs a leader. As we said earlier in this broadcast, we need adults in the room and the United States is still the best uh, opportunity for there to be an adult in the room, but only if we get the GOP under control. And their type of um, childlike antics have to stop, or we're all doomed. So anyway, that's on that up note, uh, Michael, what would you like to plug? Well, I'd like to plug two things. One is... I read a very interesting story how the Boston Red Sox have converted a part of the roof of Fenway Park into a vegetable garden. And they're using and and so this was this dead black tar roof. And it's now like twenty four hundred feet of vegetables, which they grow and have community involvement with and they use for food in the in the park. So. As New York Yankees fan, it's very hard to say something nice about the Boston Red Sox. Oh, but, it's about to happen. But but I, I thought this was the coolest thing, and I hope that other sports arenas and apartment buildings um, start looking at this as an example of how to deal with you know climate change. More rooftop gardens. Good for you, Boston Red Sox. Yeah, I was impressed that they're growing hot dogs. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Uh, so where I can be found is the podcast that said with Michael Zeldin on all your major podcast acts. It is a diversion from the day-to-day -day, uh, conversations about politics and law, where we talk about books. Some of them are very relevant to today's uh, time. Some of them are more fun, like my interview with the writers and directors of the movie Airplane. So have a listen and let me know what you think. I like it. But that's just me. Go ahead, go ahead, John. Your turn. Surely I want to start with yeah. I want to uh, start with a hat tip to our our entire team that has been on the hill uh, the last few weeks covering the uh, the speaker drama and the Republican dysfunction and the editors uh, back at HQ uh, as we try to make sense of all this for you guys. They've done a great job. Uh, very long days on those hard floors. So. Uh, uh, shout out to them and um, everybody just uh, follow along. We are trying our best. I assure you to make sense of all this for you and, and, and get the latest best information and analysis. And you can follow along at rollcall.com. And uh, thanks for that. Uh, you can find me here at just ask the question, the name of the uh, podcast and the name of the book is free the press and it's 37,000 printing. I don't know what it is, but anyway, you can pick up uh, that book wherever fine books are sold and of course, every week in salon.com and occasionally seen elsewhere. And if you like rock and roll, come join us because we like to do that. So anyway, guys, thanks once again for joining us. Uh, it's going to be another interesting week, is it not? 
<sighs> so we'll gather here next weekend and, and have some more fun and frivolity. <laughs> this is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. We'll catch you later.